Welcome to another episode of the Love Sport Podcast. I'm Paul, your host. You can get me on Paul underscore football on Twitter. Get us on the Love Sport Podcast on Facebook and Twitter as well. This is our Q&A Saturday session, so any uh, feedback or questions you have for me, I'll try and answer. Might not always have the answers you want, but I'll do my best. This is the Love Sport Podcast. Troy asked a really good question for this podcast for the Saturday Rants, and uh, it's in regards to uh, teams in Australia being named after locales but not actually being located in those areas. And it's probably a multi-faceted question and answer uh, in that regards. He also had a, a second question about, uh, well, I won't say stupidity, but kind of the um, innocuous, uh, jingoistic names that some of our sporting teams have. So we'll, we'll address these in a couple of different ways. And if we compare ourselves to Europe uh, in terms of sport and our football codes, Europe has uh, obviously a dominant uh, competition uh, or dominant code, and that is the world game, soccer or, or football, obviously, uh, as many around the world call it. A lot of teams are still located uh, in their local area. So, you know, you, you know, teams from Birmingham are located in Birmingham. A lot of teams in London are traditionally located in London, um, although we've seen teams move to bigger stadiums, Olympic stadiums, uh, teams like Tottenham and Arsenal and West Ham and everything working, uh, moving to different stadiums. So what are the teams and in the different divisions um, are from those local towns? And that's a tradition, you know, well, well over 100, almost 150 years. Very, very similar in Australia, uh, in all fairness. Um, if we look at the old VFA, uh, sorry, VFL, um, AFL kind of model, um, and we look in South Australia with the Sandfall, uh, the Waffle in WA and, and even the Queensland competi- competition up here. The AFL originated from the, the VFL and those teams were suburban teams. So Richmond played in the suburb of Richmond in Punt Road and Carlton played um, at what was the old Princess Park. Um, we had, you know, uh, South Melbourne playing in South Melbourne at Lakeside Oval. Um, Collingwood playing at Victoria Park. Uh, Hawthorne at Glenferry, all these teams traditionally played either in their suburb or, or right near their suburb. And then teams like St Kilda were a bit further away with their, their home base in Moorabbin. Uh, Western Bulldogs, who, who were Footscray at the time, did play out in the western suburbs in Footscray. So they were suburban teams, okay, that very much like what we had in, 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 in the English uh, divisions in, in football. Um, same as the, as we said, the waffle before, you know, Claremont comes out of Claremont, Subiaco, Subiaco uh, in, in South Australia, you know, Norwood plays in Norwood, Glenelg are the Glenelg Tigers. So we did have that tradition um, of our teams playing in local places. The amalgamation into a national competition um, meant that a lot of the names carried over as well. So, you know, Richmond, after 1964, they saw the Tigers. They moved across the road to the MCG. Melbourne's at the MCG. Essendon's moved between the MCG and uh, Marvel Stadium. Um, Hawthorne, you know, these different teams have all... It's almost been rationalised to where they now play. Um, so GWS in Sydney has got Giant Stadium, an AFL-manufactured team. Uh, Gold Coast... At you know, realistically, an AFL uh, manufactured team is at Metricon on the Gold Coast. So there's a little bit of locality there. 
um, Sydney play at the Sydney Cricket Ground. Um, uh, now there's Optus Stadium in, in, in Perth where Fremantle and West Coast share those facilities. Adelaide Oval is a beautiful ground shared by Adelaide uh, and Port Adelaide. So in terms of the AFL, uh, with the rationalisation, the ground sharing and so forth, that was inevitable that the, the name location was in, was an origin as opposed to you know where they're going to be playing um, moving forward. Uh, if we look at the um, uh, National Rugby League, very, very, very similar, except it is very Sydney-centric. Obviously, Brisbane Broncos uh, play in Brisbane. They play at Suncorp. So, you know, they, for many years, re- represented the, the wider state. And that didn't stop people um, from other parts of Queensland being Broncos supporters uh, in any uh, shape or form. Uh, the New South Wales teams, you know, you, you had St George, who still play some of their games uh, obviously out of Cogra, but the bigger games there moved um, to the football stadium and so forth as well. Um, Penrith still play at their ground. So the New South Wales Rugby League um, obviously included the Brisbane Broncos. They've now got uh, the Melbourne Storm, but they're less um, in terms of a national competition in, in, you know, in, in how they're spaced out than, than what the AFL is. Um, if we go, you know, and then even with names, if we can go across to Troy's second question, come back, uh, even with the names, the names originated from different competitions altogether. So, you know, you, you had Balmain Tigers, Richmond Tigers, you know, you've got those kind of crossovers with teams. Um, and now that was because it was New South Wales Rugby League. It had nothing to do with Victoria and the Victorian Football League. But there really shouldn't be any excuse going forward um, with national competitions of teams having having the same names. Uh, I, I suppose, Troy, part of the, the, the hard thing with names these days is only so many names. And with national, sorry, international sport being so prevalent on our, on our TVs now, those names that are out there in other, in other places as well, um, it, it makes it harder and harder to find that original name that means something to supporters as well. Um, so there's that side of it. And if we go to our national teams, obviously, you're looking at a, a, a jingoistic kind of nationalistic um, style name, you know, Socceroos, Ollieroos, Matildas, um, Kookaburras. You're seeing a pretty simple pattern there of our national teams. Um, nothing absolutely too original there. Obviously, you've got the Wallabies and it, the names are Australian names. So, you know, whilst we might not always like them, they represent our country uh, to an extent. Um, and we do have something where we really do have a nickname with a lot of our national teams. And around the world, um, it's, there are those exceptions, but it's probably not as widely used, the, the jingoistic terms for each of their teams. Um, so, you know, for example, the U.S. women's soccer team is called the U.S. women's uh, soccer team. Uh, so there, there's that. But I think the other side to this um, discussion, this one could go for hours. And if there's a few people on it, which hopefully we will do down the track. You've also got the fact with the going back to the localities is that we are one of the only countries in the world that supports four football codes. So rugby union, rugby league, AFL, and the world game football. One of the only uh, countries in the world that has that. And then in summer, we used to be pretty much football in the winter and cricket in the summer. But cricket goes all year round with the touring and on TV and T20s, uh, 50 overs, test cricket. 
in summer now, uh, we will have A-Leagues again still, even though it's moved back later in the summer period. You'll have the A-League. Um, then you'll have, not long after that, down the track, you'll have basketball. You've got the uh, Summer of Tennis, obviously, which is still really huge in Australia, having a Grand Slam in Melbourne and all the uh, satellite tournament, tournaments that COVID has obviously changed um, how they're all being played. Um, but there's a lot of competition in, in summer. So you've got the T20s as well, which have been played almost every night for a period of time. So there's a lot of competition and the localities and the, you know, basically financial sharing of resources um, have led to a lot of the decisions made there. Um, you know, if you look at the lower levels um, in terms of, um, you know, national, uh, not national soccer league, but the national premier leagues and so forth, many teams uh, and before that, the national soccer league, many of those teams were locality based. Many of those teams were also uh, tradition-based. So the, the Olympic teams being Greek and Marconi being Italian and, um, you know, uh, obviously, um, you know, South Melbourne being Greek and I probably just said that, apologies. But there was that uh, Melbourne Knights being Croatian. There was a lot of uh, that ethnicity and the locality uh, and the feeling of belonging, which is, you know, from the history of a lot of our sporting clubs has come from that. Uh, the Victorian Football League and so forth being very um, suburb-based, uh, our National Soccer League teams being very um, ethnic. And when we say ethnic, it's that, that feeling of belonging to your to that community um, and coming out of World War II, coming out of, um, you know, migrants coming for work and so forth. Those clubs became the home and the bastion and, and the safety uh, net for, for those people. And we've largely got rid of that at the at the uh, national level, but still at a local level, that is very uh, prevalent. And, you know, I think it's a marvellous uh, myriad of, of cultures that we see in, in those levels as well. So, Troy, for me, it is uh, the locality. Um, you only have to look at a, an AFL club, and of course I'm going to be biased. You only have to look at an AFL club like Richmond or Collingwood or Essendon and they have supporters all around the country. So uh, a team like Richmond, for example, um, I know has three or 4,000 members in Queensland, 5,000 in WA, a couple of thousand in South Australia. So that's already, you know, 11,000 supporters in, in three states outside of just Victoria. Uh, and it's one of those things when people say, well, Richmond's got 100,000 members, why don't they get 100,000 to a game? Well, there's your answer. The members come from all over Australia. They're not going to travel to every single game. So we are now looking at the, the batons being passed down as they were uh, and have been for many years. We're looking at the, the batons being passed down by A, um, teams being successful, um, B, uh, television. So, you know, you'll see as many kids wearing English Premier League tops and NFL tops and especially NBA jerseys than you will uh, and probably more than you will see them wear a lot of our local uh, jerseys now. So, Troy, in a nutshell, I'm hoping that did answer your question to some extent. In terms of the names, um, I think, personally, it is really hard to find um, original names these days. I mean, you only have to look at one of the new potential franchises for the NRL, and I don't like that word, obviously. It's an American word. Um, but you only have to look at... Um, the Brisbane Bombers, which was a potential new NRL team. And you can understand 
why there is teams like, you know, West Tigers and Richmond Tigers, because they came from uh, competitions that have been going through, you know, almost 100 odd years for AFL and a bit less for uh, the NRL. Um, but if there's already a name out there in, in the modern world, you, you shouldn't need to replicate that, obviously, with Essendon. Why would Essendon Bombers, why would you then go Brisbane Bombers? I just find that a really weird kind of way to go about a name. Um, but now, you know, uh, with success and so forth also comes people, no matter where you are, saying they want to follow a certain team or they might even like the colours. My daughter, he's, uh, my oldest daughter lives in Perth. Um, she follows Fremantle because her favourite colour is purple. So there is also that. Troy, keep firing away. Hope I answered some of your questions. Uh, continuing our Saturday rants and our question time, we had a uh, question from one of our co-hosts, uh, Johnny, and uh, John's asked about why Uber Eats uh, celebrating the non-anesthetic degenderization. Uh, of Agro by Dr. Chris on an Uber Eats ad. I had to think about this one, John. It's a great question. I think it comes down to potentially a state of origin style theme and a bit of revenge um, for Queensland winning the recent state of origin. Agro, as we know, um, and the man, if kids don't know, who who actually helps Agro find his voice, um, are from Queensland, are very Queensland-based. I think Dr. Chris... I believe could be from New South Wales. He looks like he's from New South Wales. If anyone's from New South Wales and takes offence to that, just look at Dr. Chris and tell me I'm wrong. I think this is a rather simple one. I think it's a revenge for state of origin. I think when neutering one of our great voices in agro, whether you like him or, or, or not, uh, he is a proud advocate, a proud Queenslander, as we would say. And Dr. Chris looks like an insipid New South Wales supporter. So Uber Eats, uh, it's a no for me. It's a thumbs down. You're trying to, you know, gender neutralise a Queenslander because of success. Uh, so, John, I hope that uh, answers your question there. Um, I don't think we need to go too much more into it. But to me, it's a form of Uber Eats DV. Um, and we need to make sure that, you know, sport is a level playing field and Uber Eats realises that you win some, you lose some. Rant out. Uh, continuing with our Saturday rant, thanks for all those who've put uh, questions in. It really does help um, us try and get to the crux of uh, sporting issues for people. Uh, Nathan's asked some really good questions at the moment. And um, basically, one of the questions he's asking, what makes their respective games harder to relate to uh, or relatively follow for the average punter? The new BBL rules in cricket, the AFL draft points system or VAR? Uh, it's a really good question because he's not asking the hardcore supporter. He's talking about the average punter who just wants to basically be able to, you know, follow the sport. Um, well, we'll go through this a little bit. And I think, look, I'm going to say this. It's VAR. It is absolutely VAR. And we'll come to that in a moment. So the new BBL rules, even though BBL's been going the better part of a decade now, it is still a game that has been set up for a nightly game, a game that's played one night, the next night you forget the result. It is fun. It, it is certainly aimed towards families, towards the more casual supporters. You know, the fireworks, the music, the big hitting, the colours. It is really fantastic and it is brilliantly done. 
Um, whilst I'm more of a traditional cricket supporter, I do enjoy putting on the TV almost any night and watching a bit of the uh, T20. Um, being a Brisbane Heat supporter myself, um, it's different to the way I follow other sports. Like I will go to a game and I'm really hoping they win. I really enjoy the night regardless of the result, whereas in other sports, it can shape my whole night whether they uh, win, lose or draw in some sports. The new BBL rules, you know, they're much easier to follow if you're watching it on TV because the commentators will explain them to you over and over again. Um, at the ground, they're not so different that it's going to change your whole experience of watching the game. So, you know, for me, for the average punter, the, the BBL's already changed cricket the way it is. So I don't think that affects uh, the, the casual punters, um, you know, viewpoint of the game. The AFL draft point system, and I, for anyone who's ever known or listened to my podcast or knows me, the AFL draft point system, unless you are a player manager or a mathematician or one of the uh, guys off the Big Bang Theory, is really, really hard to work out to the point where whilst I know the general dynamics of how it works in terms of academy picks and points for future draft picks and and so forth, it's not something I know very well. Um, And, you know, it's not something I'm also too concerned about um, finding out a lot about because if I would, I would have already done my research on this, you know, over the past few years. Um, For me, it has to be VAR. And the reason for that, and John and I and Sean and, and Pete on the podcast before have discussed this quite a few times, it's taking away the spontaneity, that, that absolute jubilance of celebration when a goal was scored. You know, I taught my kids, and, and I'm sure many people have taught their kids and other people, that in, before VAR, before, in the golden days, before VAR, um, before VAR, what I always taught the kids when a goal was scored is have a quick look to the sideline. There's a flag up, it's offside, okay, stop celebrating. If it's uh, if it's down, it's a goal and go nuts. So you already started going nuts, you have a quick glance over and then you continue going nuts. That, that's, you know, I, I think many people who love the world game would have said the same thing. If you're watching it on TV, you'll see the flag go up or the commentator say, oh, the flag's gone up and you automatically went, ah, damn. So it's a no goal. Even if you find out later on that it wasn't offside, you can complain. At least it was done quickly. You, you, it was almost the mercy rule there. Now... A goal gets scored. And the first reaction I have now is that I, I do react with a celebration and it's almost straight away a sense of dread. And, and you're waiting for that. And I can tell you, every supporter has gone through that at the top levels in the last few years. Um, I've had that with Aston Villa last week where two goals disallowed from VAR. And it just completely... I am not saying just changes the, um, the outcome of the game. It changes our very fabric how we love supporting our game, that massive celebration when a goal was scored, that seemed to have been compromised. And I I don't think anyone um, who's been through that in recent years has seen their goal disallowed. I mean, should there... It's a separate conversation piece here, Nathan. It's a fantastic question. But should there almost be a time limit? You know, it's meant to be for clear and obvious errors. And if it takes a, uh, a referee in the sideline or someone in a booth, you know, two or three minutes to make the decision, then then it's then it just needs to go to the referee's original call no matter what, because it's just getting out of hand. So for me, for the average punter or, or for the hardcore fan, um, which kind of crosses over in that regard, it has to be VAR. Great question. Um, 
the BBL rules will probably change time and time again just to give us a little bit of, um, you know, try and, you know, score, get more runs scored or more highlights. The AFL draft system, look, that's for player managers uh, and, and, and that's for, um, you know, club uh, managers to be able to negotiate. I honestly, if I want to get really in-depth, I will, but I, I honestly don't care. So I could be wrong there, Nathan. I'm happy for you to correct me. But um, I'd have to say, for the average punter, uh, it would have to certainly be the VAR. Red over. Final question of the day comes from a long-time friend, Stuart, and he's asked about the uh, players to watch out for for the uh, BBL for 2020-2021. And it is a different year with COVID, so quite often I'm looking uh, for some of the overseas players who we may not have seen a lot on the test scene, and that's one of the, the great things about the the, BBL, the Big Bash, uh, BBL, whatever we want to call it these days. Um, but... Uh, then we could always look at the superstars that we already have and, and, and you know, potentially the ones from overseas that, that did the quarantine period. But I want to go a little bit away from that. And I thought, let's go and have a look at a couple of the younger players because that's really what's exciting me at the moment. The BBL is giving um, the opportunity to players who might not even be able to get into the uh, um, the state squads for the longer formats. Definitely not going to get uh, automatically in um, to the test teams and so forth. And I love the art of spin. So there's a lot of big hitters out there, and we know that's what the BBL is aimed at. And there was the thought early on that um, because of the kind of format and how it was set up, that that spinners would be not playing at all. But one of the guys is Tanvir Sanger for the Sydney Thunder. He's uh, 19 years of age. Um, looks like he will get a couple games at, at this point. He's around the you know the fringes of the New South Wales squad. Um, but he's a really good young leg spinner. And, you know, I think it's one of the greatest art forms of, of almost any sport is leg spin. Uh, so he's a 19-year-old, should get some games in this longer uh, longer BBL kind of season as well. Um, seems to have good patience, uh, a couple of different kind of deliveries as well. Um, so I'm really looking to see him. Um, there's also... Um, Will Parker from the Hobart, uh, Hobart Hurricanes as well. He's a spin bowler, um, and I think I think he'll certainly um, look at getting a, a game or two, um, considering that their um, their import uh, leg spinner won't be here until uh, after the new year. So really good athlete with a couple of different sports that he's good at. Really good fielder, but also another spinner. And 18 years of age, so the spin depth uh, is is certainly there at the moment. Um, we've got a left arm. Always, I've seen a good left arm uh, bowler who can move the ball around a little bit. Um, and uh, Brisbane Heat have got a really good uh, up, upcoming player in Matty Willens. And uh, he's 19. So I was really focusing on, on those younger players there, Stuart. Um, so they're the ones that I'm looking out for this year. So Matty Willens from the uh, Brizzy Heat. Um, uh, Will Parker from Hobart Hurricanes. Um, and, and certainly uh, Tanvir Sanger um, from the Sydney Thunder. Um, a few others to look out for, quite a few out there. You're looking at, at a batsman who's been uh, around about the edges, uh, 21-year-old uh, Aaron Hardy from the Perth Scorchers. Um, he can also bowl as well, so he, he looks like a good all-rounder, swing bowler, uh, quite a big hit of the ball. So he's from the Perth Scorchers. We've covered a, a few teams there. Um, obviously, as the new year comes in, 
the imports who um, with COVID restrictions easing will, will be coming back in will be interesting to see. Some of them um, are big name players. And if you've watched any IPL, it'll be no surprise that they're good players. Um, but me personally, the question who to look out for is the young guys coming through. Um, whether they will be uh, long-term state stalwarts or end up being test players. I think we've got a really exciting time in Australian cricket. So, Stewie, I hope that helped answer your question. Happy for you to come back with a few more guys on uh, on who you think will be the big um, players to watch out for the BBL in the 2020-21 season. Peace. Yay! Another session of the Love Sport podcast is done. This is our Saturday Q&A. Don't forget, I'm Paul, your host. You can get me at Paul underscore football. Get us at the Love Sport podcast on Facebook and Twitter. We'll be doing another podcast this Wednesday covering all sorts of sports, doing our best. Uh, joined by John, Sean and Pete. And we will do our best to uh, enlighten you on the world of sport. This is the Love Sport podcast.